This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Tom Flores, and you're listening to us on iTest for Two. Welcome back to part two of this week's I Test for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Myra Kaufman. And we are, of course, Hall of Fame voters joined today, as we are each week, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. And guys, you might be wondering why we opened with that Raiders theme song. Well, that's because we're joined by a special Raiders guest. Now, I'll give you a hint. We're in March. It's Women's History Month. And this woman made such an impact, such a difference in the league that when it commemorated its 100th anniversary, she was named one of the top 100 greatest game changers in NFL history. I'm talking, of course, the former Raiders CEO, Amy Trask, now an analyst for CBS Sports and CBS Sports Network. She was also a panelist on the first all women sports talk show, We Need to Talk, and author of the best-selling book, You Negotiate Like a Girl. Amy, thanks so much for joining us. And you know what? We need to talk. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. I, am, um, I am deeply honored and truly touched to join you on the iTest for Two. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for that very, very generous and gracious introduction. Well, you deserve it. And we are honored as well. Um, you were, of course, as I mentioned, a groundbreaker, the first female CEO in the NFL when you were named to that position in 1987. I mentioned that to my wife today. She went, boy, that's a long time ago. I went, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was. But did you then or ever foresee the day when we'd have women in the front office as officials, as trainers, and as full-time assistant coaches? It never occurred to me that we wouldn't see more women in the front office and Perhaps it was silly of me that it didn't occur to me we wouldn't, but the growth we have seen in terms of officiating and coaching uh, is, is something really exciting. And I'm not suggesting women in the front office is not, but that's growth that, look, as you just noted, 1987, which was when I joined the organization full-time, having interned even earlier than that, I note that just to simply underscore how old I am, I guess, but, you know, that was a really, really long time ago. So, you know, that which we envisioned decades and decades ago is different from that which is reality now. Well, as you mentioned a long time ago, 34 years ago, what do you think's next? What do you think is, is next for women in the NFL? Well, first of all, thanks for doing that math. That kind of grabbed me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, to your point, I started with the Raiders in um, roughly 82, 83 as an intern. And then as you noted, full-time in 87. And I'm sure some of the people who um, enjoy your work on the eye test for two weren't even born then. And um, wow, that was a long time ago. Including our producer, Ian Glendon, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, new phone, who this, who this? Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, I think that, I guess, let me state it differently. 
people ask me all the time, am I excited by the growth we've seen? Am I excited to see women um, in all these roles? And the answer is, of course, I'm excited. But what's going to be truly exciting is when this is no longer newsworthy. What's going to truly excite me is when these are no longer stories, when people are hired without regard to race, gender, or any other individuality, which has no bearing whatsoever on whether one can do a job. When that's no longer a story, that's going to be truly exciting. Amy, I, I got to admit, I, I am fascinated by Al Davis. I am absolutely fascinated. My brother was a Raiders fan in the 60s. We're living in Brooklyn. I, I, I became a, a Chiefs fan, a uh, hell of a rivalry. Uh, most of the time, he beat me up with the Raiders. Um, so, Amy, I, I remember Al at his peak, and so do you. But I'm afraid to say that young people, Amy, they remember Al at the end, a little distracted, disoriented, lost his fastball, whatever. Amy, for those people, I think you'd agree with me, very few figures in NFL history were more impactful than Al Davis. Well, I agree with that entirely, whether you date back to the AFL-NFL merger or all he did um, within the NFL once he joined. And I guess I'll put this in three pieces. As to your point about the end of his life and what many people remember, uh, at the time when he was making decisions that were criticized for not being in the long-term best interest of the club over those last years, I obviously my mouth shut. I had to keep my mouth shut. I never thought of not keeping my mouth shut. But what I wanted to scream is, you know what, when you're of a certain age or in a certain state of health, when you are facing your own mortality, you're going to define long-term a lot differently than you might define long-term when you're a lot younger or in good health. So, you know, you're absolutely right. Some people remember him over those last years and they didn't know at the time, perhaps that they were criticizing what he was doing during those years, that he was well aware of his own mortality. As for all he did within the league, two pieces to that, um, notwithstanding the fights between the NFL and the Raiders, and I swear to you, men, I know I sound like I'm a five-year-old when I say this, but I say it every time, and I'm just embracing my inner five-year-old. We were the defendant. They started it. They sued us. Now, okay, that out of the way. Um, and really, I do kind of trigger my inner five-year-old when I have to say that with respect to all that litigation, we were the defendant. But Al liked to uh, counter-sue with a vengeance. And notwithstanding his business disagreements with the league, he really and truly loved the league and did what he believed was in the league's best interest. And, you know, on the day that Pete Rozelle announced his retirement at a league owners meeting, Al stood up and he and Pete embraced because notwithstanding their differences, they both, they each wanted what was in the best interest of the league and they recognized that in one another. And in terms of what Al did, um, for purposes of what I mentioned before, hiring without regard to race, gender, or any other individuality, which has no bearing on whether one can do a job. He was doing that decades and decades and decades before it was even a topic. Amy, what, what was he like um, in, in social situations? Did you go to dinner with him? And, and what were some of his other interests besides uh, football? 
Um, he was very, very different depending on the social situation. Yes, I had the great pleasure of, of dining with him. Sometimes they were business dinners and we kind of comported ourselves in that manner. Sometimes they are, were what I would call Raider family dinners. And that was just an absolute blast. I remember we always, um, he arranged us at a seat. If there were more than just two or four of us, he would arrange us. So none of us were sitting with our spouses and we were all sort of mixed and just a tremendous, tremendous conversationalist. He was a student of world history. I don't know that a lot of people are aware how much he studied and knew world history, world events, both historic and, and current, um, a very, very intelligent and wise man. And it was always interesting to um, share perspectives and listen to his perspective on things that were going on in the world. We're with Amy Trask, analyst for CBS Sports and CBS Sports Network on the I Test for Two. And Amy, I've got a friend whom you know or know about, and that's Vito Stellino, a former Hall of Fame voter. He used to be with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, covered those Raiders-Steelers games. And he has an idea that I don't necessarily disagree with. I want to hear what you have to think about it um, or say about it. He believes that Davis, Al Davis versus Pete Rozelle was comparable or tantamount to Joe Frazier versus Muhammad Ali, the thrill in Manila. The thrill in Manila, they punched each other out so badly that they were never the same afterwards. He feels the same about Al versus Pete Rozelle. Would you agree with that? Well, of course I know Vito um, and I was smiling as you were mentioning him. You know, I'm not going to speak to Pete because I don't have, I, you know, I didn't have the sort of relationship with Pete that I did with Al. I don't agree with that as to Al. Um, you know, that might be a fair observation much, much, much later in his life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the, when Pete stepped down, you know, Al was still in, in full mode. So, no, I don't, I don't think I agree with that. But it's worth thinking about, and I'll give it more thought. And if I change my mind, I'll let you know. But my gut reaction is, at least as to Al, I don't agree with that. And one that you, I think, can answer more definitively, but in all of your years with the Raiders, what's your favorite or your most cherished memory? I remember, honestly, I think honestly, the last time I probably saw you in person was the, the game immediately after his passing. I know you yeah. remember it. That was in Houston. Um, oh, but what, yeah. What's your most cherished memory? When you think of your, your career with the Raiders, what do you go back to as the first thing you think of? Well, uh, it was, I was with the organization almost 30 years and I have 30 years worth of cherished memories, but I'll give you one that springs to mind. And by the way, that game you just referenced sure springs to mind and all of us hugging and crying in the yep. locker room afterwards. But one that springs to mind was a meeting that we had at the Raider offices up in Alameda. This was after Al had moved the team back to the Bay area. And there was a business, a business with which I wanted us to do business and some representatives of the business were coming to our facility for a meeting with a few of us. And I asked Al to join us in the meeting because I thought that would be impactful and help us achieve what I wanted to achieve. He very graciously agreed to come in. He walked in and the business representatives were there, one of whom was a woman. So he walks around, he shakes everyone's hands. He then says to this woman, um, you know, I, I, I try very hard not to swear in front of women. And at this point, I start looking at all my coworkers with this look of incredulity <laughs> on my face. Did he just say what I think he said? He said, I try very hard not to swear in front of women, but sometimes I slip. And I'm really looking at everyone right now like, did he just say that? 
then he goes further and he says, and even if I do slip and swear in front of women, I never swear at women. Well, at this point, I am in just a state of shock and my pen flies out of my hand, lands on the conference room table with a thump. And he looks over at me and sees the expression on my face. And he says, and this is a quote, oh, Amy, I swear at Amy, but I don't consider her a woman. And he could not have paid me a bigger compliment because isn't that what we all want in our workplace to be evaluated on the merits without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, religion. Oh, Amy, I swear at Amy, but I, it was either, I don't consider her a woman or I don't think of her as a woman. And my heart almost exploded because he could not have paid me a bigger compliment. (laughs) Amy, we do our, our research on this show, uh, Ms. Trask, and um, there is a rumor out there that uh, after, the, after that 4-12 and 12 season uh, in 97 with Joe Bugle, um, you were, uh, you know, scouring uh, the neighborhood for a head coach, and you came up with one uh, William Belichick and kind of presented him to uh, Al, and it didn't happen, Amy, and instead he went with John Gruden, and, you know, that worked out pretty well. Um, Amy, any truth to that story? Not only is it true, I am grinning ear to ear as you mention it. Um, wow. What, what happened was um, that was the only time in my entire career with the Raiders that Al involved me in a coaching search. Only happened that once, never before, never after. He had me meet with each of the candidates. And after I did, he asked me, OK, who would you hire? And I said, John Gruden. And I said it without equivocation. I just said, I'm sorry. I said, Bill Belichick. He hired John Gruden. I said, Bill Belichick. And I said it without equivocation. And we talked a little bit about it. He went on to hire John Gruden, which is why I just mentioned him. Also a good choice. John did a terrific job. So this is not in any way, you know, to denigrate John. But I I suggested that he hire Bill. Well, I thought that would remain between the two of us. But a number, uh, you know, quite a while later, I think a couple of years later at a press conference, he said, Amy told me to hire Bill. And that was very, very meaningful to me. Also a special memory because he didn't have to share that with anyone. And by the way, by the time he said this, Bill had gone on and was achieving what, you know, we've now seen Bill achieve for many, many years. He was doing a terrific job. And Al told the Assemble Media, Amy told me to hire Bill. And Again, he didn't have to tell people that. And I thought it was really gracious and generous that he did so. But what I loved even more is from that point on, after I recommended Bill and Bill went on to have the success we've seen him have every time or, you know, most any time coaching issues came up, Al would say to me, kid, you know how to pick a coach. (laughs) Amy, uh, Amy, what struck you uh, about Belichick um, during the interview process? How smart he is. How smart he is. How do they say that in Boston? Wicked smart. Um, just so, so, you know, intelligent. Um, you know, I don't know how else I can state it other than I was just wowed by his, not only his football acumen and his football intelligence, but his intelligence as a whole. We're with Amy Trask on the eye test for two. And Amy, we think you're wicked smart. So I'm going to ask you a question <laughs> you. here. If you were commissioner, what's the first change that you'd make today? Ooh, a couple. Um, All right, here's one off the bat. I would not allow there to be coaching searches until after the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I don't see any reason for it. You know, even if you need to say, okay, we'll push free agency back a week or two, we'll push the draft back. The NFL is looking to fill the entire calendar with events anyway. So what does it matter if you push it back a couple of weeks? You could push everything a week to 10 days to two weeks or not. But I think to allow uh, coaching searches during the playoffs is unfair to the coaches who are looking for jobs who are with teams that are doing the best. So it's counterintuitive because right now there's such pressure in the league to hurry up and fill that role, fill that role that some teams are very unwilling to wait for a coach who may be in the Super Bowl. And again, that's counterintuitive. So you're not going to wait for a coach who's part of taking a team to the game that you all want to play in. It doesn't make sense. It's also not fair to the team's, who have coaches on staff who are interviewing throughout that process. Because, you know, I don't care how much they say, we'll do it by phone, we'll fly them privately. Any amount of attention spent on looking for your next job is not attention spent on your current job for which you're being compensated. So I don't think the current system is fair to the teams that have coaching candidates. I don't think it's fair to the coaching candidates, and I don't think it's necessary. I would also do away with fumble into the end zone that the opposing team gets the ball on the twenty. Or fumble in and out of the end zone that goes unrecovered. That's a popular one. I think they're going to look at that. Uh, also, just sort of interesting. What, what do you get from TV that you didn't get from pro football? And, and could you ever see yourself returning to pro football or the Raiders? Um, I'll answer it in reverse order. No, I, I don't see myself returning to football. Uh, I had, you know, Al afforded me the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, I shall forever cherish that, you know, the memories I have. It was a magnificent career. Um, but that's in the past. And now I'm on to new adventures. I have had opportunities to go back into the league with other teams, but I never saw um, my role with the Raiders as fungible. In other words, you know, there were plenty of people I knew throughout my career who one year they could be wearing the, the green of the Eagles and next year they're wearing the red of the Chiefs or, you know, the aqua and, and orange of the dolphins that just wasn't me um i didn't view my work for the raiders as fungible with another team so i have had some opportunities to go back with other teams but that's just again i'm not casting aspersions on anyone who has moved around the league or chooses to move around the league that just i didn't view being a raider as fungible and i'm on to fun things uh what um being on tv is the scariest thing i've ever done and um it just, I'll just leave it at that. It's the scariest thing I've ever done. I am facing my biggest fear. And thanks to all the terrific teammates at CBS Sports and CBS Sports Network, I've been able to face that fear. And that's a lot of fun. Amy, last one for me. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, Amy, this is a very Hall of Fame centric show. So I'm going to let you make a quick uh, presentation on behalf of a player that I think you're very fond of. Uh, that, that would be Eric Allen. Uh, Amy finished his career with the Raiders, uh, outstanding player through the years. What do you remember about Eric Allen? Uh, magnificent on the field, even more magnificent off the field. In other words, a magnificent player, a magnificent human being. And I realized that if I were making his, you know, a Hall of Fame speech, it would be focused on on the field. But I do want um, everyone who's listening to this um, to know that as magnificent as he was as a player, he is an even more magnificent human being. Amy, I've got one last question to ask you. You've been called the princess of darkness by Raiders fans. Like it or loathe it? Love it, love it, love it. Uh, it is the best nickname ever. It was not 
given me as a compliment. <laughs> Mike Silver wrote an article for SI in which he quoted anonymous league sources as saying behind her back, we refer to her as the princess of darkness. Again, not intended as a compliment. Raider fans took it as a compliment. I took it as a compliment and I shall forever cherish my nickname. I love it. Um, men, may I say one other thing to you before I hang up? We've talked a lot about the role of women in the NFL and I want to let your fans and your listeners know that we, you know, I interacted with each of you, with both of you throughout my career, and there was never, ever, ever, ever an instance in which I sensed from either of you anything that suggested you were remotely concerned with my gender. Um, that's it. I mean, never, ever, ever was that an issue um, from either of you. And thank you. Amy Trask. You're our princess of darkness. Thanks so much for joining us. Always, always a pleasure. That was Amy Trask, former CEO of the Raiders and now an analyst for CBS Sports and Ira. You just can't get enough Al Davis stories, can you? I, I just can't. I just can't, Clark. You know, he's one of those people that, um, boy, I wish I had spent some time with Davis. And Clark, I told you that one time with the trip, I was doing this profile on George Steinbrenner, and I knew he was friends with Al. They were both born July 4th. One year apart, yep. Al's one, Al was one year older, and I knew they were friends. So I was doing this profile, and I said, I got to talk to Al Davis. And I called, and when I told the secretary that it was about Steinbrenner and his hometown paper, you know, she says, be at your phone at 3 o'clock. Mr. Davis will call you. Clark, true story. I'm on my patio, 3 o'clock, phone rings. It's Al Davis, Brooklyn accent. I got a Brooklyn accent. Where'd you go to high school, Ira? New Utrecht. I know you went to Erasmus, Al. How can I help you? I said, Al, I'm doing this big profile on Steinbrenner. Tell me your thoughts on George Steinbrenner. Clark, this is what he said. And this was my opening quote of, of a 1,500-word story. Oh. In the history of sports, two figures tower above all others. I'm number one. <laughs> George is number two. <laughs> That's, that's not a bad opening quote over there. That's Clark. a great opening quote. You know, and Al's in the Hall of Fame. George Steinbrenner is not. One of these days, I think he probably will, but he's not. Well, guess Wait what, Ira? Wait a minute. That tells me that uh, one of us is somewhere, Clark. Uh, it's not me, so it's got to be you. It is me. I was there, Ira. Where are you, baby? Where I'm, are you? I was there at the L.A. Coliseum, September 28th. 1986, a year before Amy Trask was hired by the Raiders. She was an intern. She, she was, was an intern. She was right? an intern, but before she was hired as the CEO. And Ian, where were you in 1986? Uh, at that time, I think I was just uh, entering the womb, if, yeah, I, okay. if, I, rem if I can do my math correct. So January, so I, that was a long I was time born ago. in October, so yeah. Yes, <laughs> that was a long time ago. Anyway, September 28, 1986, L.A. Coliseum, Raiders Chargers. Raiders lost their third straight game. Score was 17 to 13. But guys, it, it's not what happened on the field that was a story. It was what happened or didn't happen afterwards. The club left its head coach, Don Coriel, and two trainers and two security guards at the stadium. Drove off down the 110 towards San Diego. Then 10 to 15 minutes into the drive, someone says, uh, Coach here? No, don't see him. He was back at the Coliseum. So what happened was 
radio the third bus, the three-team buses, radio the third bus, told him to turn around and go back and get Don, which they did. He also got the guards. The trainers, eh, not so much. They returned with the equipment truck. Anyway, it was the beginning of the end for Don Coriel and, and the Chargers. They lost four more games. He was fired midseason, and he finished 4-12. and 12. That's a pretty good story, Ira. Got anything to top that? That's damn good. I think I would have taken it as a bad sign, too, Clark. Yeah. I got a final thought, Clark. Got a final oh, you do? thought. Yo, you, you, you jumped me out because I was going to say final thoughts, but uh, Ira, go get them. All right. Clark, you remember when Roger Goodell was named to replace uh, the commissioner in 2006, Paul Tagliabue. I do. Uh, I believe, Clark, NFL revenues were about six or seven billion dollars and Goodell had the audacity Clark to say hey 20 years down the road I think we should shoot for 25 billion dollars and Clark my final thought and tell me what you think he's well on his way he may even beat his prediction we may not have to wait till 2027 especially with these new deals Clark yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Just signed a lucrative TV deal that's making a lot of people a lot of money. Anyway, that's going to do it for today. But Ira, tell them where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76. Ian? At IGLEN31. Ian, you must have loved that Bill Belichick story she told. Oh, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. <laughs> to be a fly in that room. <laughs> and you can find me at, at Clark Chips too. And if they want to find all of us at once, in where can they get us? Well, of course, you can go to the I Test for Two on Twitter. That's all letters and no numbers. And Ira, what do we always tell our listeners? If you don't get in touch with us, then you can find us where on the I Test for Two, Mister Judge for Two. Correct, sir. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.